good morning, good morning. That is some good racket right there. I tell you what, Reckless Kelly, Long Night Moon, kicking things off for us on a Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. I'm your host, Cable Smith. I tell you what, racket, man, that's what my wife calls it. She doesn't really get uh, heavy guitar solos or riffs like that, but as someone who grew up on classic rock and classic country, man, that's just, that's what I love. So I think it's good racket. Uh, anyway, thank you guys and gals for being here today, as it is a treat, a pleasure, an honor to be talking, hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you fine folks. So you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the one granddaddy passed down years ago, because we've got a lot to get into. And off the top, we will be joined by someone who I think has lived like two very interesting parts of their life. And uh, that is Sean McClellan, former Team USA shotgunner. Uh, He competed in the Beijing Games in 2008. And now he is the executive director of Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation, which is an organization dedicated to getting outdoor curriculum put into our school systems. So really a great way to get our youth introduced into things that once were just commonplace, right? But in this day and age we live in currently, that is far from reality. So we'll visit with Sean on uh, what it takes to you know, be a competitive shotgunner. And then we'll transition into the great work that he's doing over at Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. Spend a little bit of time with Sean and then we will be joined by... Buck Robinson of Outdoor Access. You know, access is the thing that I hear hunters complain the most about, lack of. You know, I I don't have a place to hunt. Leases are too expensive. Um, Public land is, there's too many people and it's a pain in the rear. Okay, this, that, and the other. I get it. Well, Outdoor Access is like Uber for hunters and anglers and outdoor enthusiasts. So um, I'm just going to leave it at that. There's a lot more to get into and it's affordable. Um, that's the other thing I need to mention. So if that doesn't pique your interest, you know, if you don't have a lease for this season or you're looking for a place just closer to home, outdoor access might just be the solution to your problem. Uh, so we will spend a couple segments with Buck here coming up in just a little bit, but that's what's on the docket for today. Going to be a good one. Uh, some interesting stuff, no doubt. A couple other things to mention. I've got a uh, I've got a Texas Trophy Hunter giveaway for you today. It's a, tr- a Trophy Hunter shirt. It uh, says 1975 on it. It's got their logo. That was the year they were founded, by the way. And we'll throw in a TTHA cap. Uh, this one is the Show Your Skull cap, so it's got their logo on the front as well. And all you need to do is uh, email in, let's just say Trophy. That's Trophy because I am Trophy Hunter. I'm not too proud to admit it. You know, a lot of people are like, ah, you can't eat the horns. Well, guess what? I like the horns. Not as much as I like the meat, but I damn sure like them. And I like them on my wall, and I like them in my hand. I like to hold them. I just like them. Uh, so if you're like me, you like a nice trophy, email the word trophy to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. We'll get you entered into this week's giveaway. And then don't forget, keep sending in your best hunting, fishing, outdoor photos to that same email address, Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail.com. Or uh, you can post them on my Facebook page or tag me on Instagram using the LSOS photo contest hashtag we'll get you entered and then uh, if you win one of our 12 monthly contests then you are qualified for the photo of the year grand prize contest 
Uh, and that, once again, is an opportunity to join me for a trophy axis deer or black buck hunt down at Coons Canyon Ranch in Rock Springs, Texas. So send in those photos, and we'll get you entered. And uh, hopefully we'll see you at Coons Canyon Ranch later on this spring. Um, let's take a quick break. When we come back, we'll find out how many shells it takes a former Olympic shotgunner to knock down a limit of dove. <laughs> we do it next with Sean McClellan on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Now the heart is a tricky thing. Yours more than most. You spent your whole life wondering with the look on your face like it's ain't a gold. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of Dallas and Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, and now McKinney. Visit BobcatofDallas.com or call 469-586-0000. I'm Craig Boddington. I'd like to invite you to become a member of Dallas Safari Club, one of the world's leading hunting and conservation organizations. As a member, you'll receive Game Trails magazine, a monthly newsletter, and invitations to our monthly meetings and special activities. Join Dallas Safari Club, an international organization based in Dallas, supporting hunting and conservation worldwide. For more information, call 800-9-GO-HUNT or visit our website at www.biggame.org. Are you tired of waking up at 2 a.m. to fight public land skybusters? Cable here for Three Crow Outfitters and their new North Texas Duck Club, which consists of over 3,000 acres and 40 water bodies throughout Ellis and Navarro counties. Three Crow does the planting, provides metal blinds, decoys, and posts a weekly scouting report. All you and your buddies do is reserve the property you want and show up to hunt. This opportunity is limited to 10 four-person memberships, so for the waterfowling experience of your lifetime, go to threecurl.com or call 214-641-8097 today. Hey everybody, this is Bruce Robinson, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm taking my It's little Bruce Robinson, heartache to Houston, bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show, powered by Dallas Safari Club. Cable Smith here with you. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I appreciate it immensely. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer and Hoff Power Polaris as well, our longtime presenting sponsors. Man, what a rough week here in the North Texas area as uh, tornadoes ripped through much of Dallas County, including uh, my junior high is uh, where I went to junior high. doesn't have a roof. My parents live pretty close to there. Their fence was knocked down. Uh, luckily, the house remained intact. No, seemingly worse for the wear, but, geez, people all over the Metroplex without power. Some house is completely demolished, and, and the one image that I was like, holy moly, to, to really quantify the power of these tornadoes is an entire Home Depot at 75 and Central Expressway, just obliterated. And uh, that Home Depot, back in the day, was where we would go mudding, right behind it, as there was a bunch of open fields that you couldn't see from the road. That was key, you know, to make sure the cops didn't come and run you off or call your parents and tell them what a jackass you were. 
Uh, but yeah, we got quite a few trucks stuck back there. <laughs> but yeah, that Home Depot is gone. So our thoughts and prayers go out to uh, all the good folks here in the North Texas area. Because that was uh, actually Arkansas as well. I mean, those tornadoes just kept right on going. So I know there was a fatality in uh, Arkansas. So thoughts and prayers go out to everyone affected. We were sitting in the closet underneath the stairway myself, the kids, the wife, and Belle, of course. And uh, tornado sirens going off. Everybody's freaking out. But luckily up here, we just got rain coming down sideways. So for those who got it worse, uh, our thoughts are with you. We're about to visit with former Team USA Olympic shotgunner, Sean McClelland. He is now the executive director of Outdoors Tomorrow, a great organization that I am excited to tell you guys and gals about. Uh, but before we get into it with Sean, this segment of the show is proudly brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. You know land is the one thing they're not making any more of, right? But we all want it. So if you're ready to take that plunge, whether it's for hunting, fishing, recreating, running cattle, or just to get the hell out of the big city, let Lone Star Ag Credit help you out. They've been doing this for over 100 years. They'll take great care of you, and you can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. And with that being said, let's bring him on right now. Our first guest, former member of Team USA, Sean McClellan. Thanks for being here in studio, man. Man, it is great to be here. Yeah, thanks for making the, the trek over from Fort Worth to the studio. Uh, so where are you from originally? Uh, from McAllen, Texas. Okay, right on. And so t talk a little bit about your upbringing and how that ended up with you competing at the uh, 2008 Olympic Games in Beijing for Team USA. You know, talk about an incredible experience and, and an amazing support system growing up. Uh, I was hunting and fishing, being outdoors, uh, you know, starting in the womb. And both my parents are... Uh, serious conservationists and outdoors people. Mm -hmm. So I had just a great upbringing being outdoors, uh, going to the ranch, going out with friends. And uh, they started us with uh, you know, Red Rider BB guns pretty early when we were really young. Mm. Uh, both parents are, are really big on safety. Yeah. And uh, that kind of led into uh, joining a 4-H club uh, later on down the road in middle school and high school, being in leadership club. Uh, you know, and you have some family that raises animals. Uh, I took the shooting sports route. Right. Uh, and I felt like that was a lot more exciting and, and uh, more attuned to my personality and gave me some incredible opportunities, uh, both to learn a lot about yourself and competition and teaches you the value of hard work as well. Sure. So when did you start uh, shooting competitively? I mean, I'm asking for a friend, but I know this 38-year-old guy that <laughs> he's got Olympic... <laughs> Olympic aspirations, right? So yeah, it's, is it too late for him? You know, uh, sh shotgun sports are a lot like uh, golf and fishing. Uh, uh -huh. They're lifelong activities. So too late. Okay, It's never too late. <laughs> <laughs> and I started uh, I started shooting competitively at 13. Okay. Wow. So so what did, what did that entail, like, practice-wise? Uh, that started out with, as a, a full season, uh, going out with family and friends that were in our 4-H our club mm -hmm. and not knowing at all what we were doing. Uh, just a lot of very safe parents and uh, trying to teach us from kind of the dove field onto competitive shooting sports. And uh, that didn't get serious until we actually found a uh, competitive shooting coach. Uh, his name is Steve Schultz. Okay. Uh, he's an incredible figure in my life. And then uh, uh, we actually got serious about it after that for practicing every week and learning form and uh, how the game works. Okay. And 
did you back then did they have collegiate teams very competitive collegiate teams Uh, and did you participate in that as well ended up getting scouted uh scouted as a junior in high school Uh uh, and followed lindenwood university through my senior year uh, and they had won a few national championships leading up to this Uh, you have about uh, at the national championships you have about 500 competitors Uh uh, as roundabout that uh, come that are very, very serious, both club and scholarship teams, and uh, ended up going there on scholarship. Okay. Um, was very fortunate for that. How does that evolve into, yes, I got a scholarship, so I know I'm pretty good. I'm, I'm competing at the collegiate level. Next up is the Olympics. You know, I think uh, for any, any high school athlete that goes on to uh, play collegiately, uh, it's a humbling experience where you know, you're one of the best coming out of your state uh-huh. and you show up the first day in college and you find out that there are people from around the country that are, uh, they're just as serious about the sport as you are. But, uh, we found out about the Olympic games and the Olympic shooting sports, uh, as I was a freshman in college. Mm-hmm. And, uh, after giving that a try as at a, uh, you know, because the first tournament that we went to and I was like on the fifth page or sixth page or something, and you're not accustomed to that kind of beatdown, so it was a it was a great it was a great experience. It was a it was very value adding um, and humbling uh-huh. to be able to battle back from that and come back and uh, and make the team here three and a half years uh, after we started. Awesome, awesome, yeah. And uh, you probably shot with. Let's see, I think what is her name? The girl she won gold a couple times. I think uh, she's been on the show before, but it's been five or six years. Uh, Kim Rohde? Yeah, Kim. Yeah, Kim's been on the show Kim before. Is, Kim is unbelievable. Yeah. So you, was that, she? I think that was Beijing, wasn't it? It was Beijing. Yeah, because I, I I'm trying to get the, my math here right, but I started the show in 2009, so she would have just competed in Beijing, so you all were on the same team. Talk about an incredible outdoors woman. Uh, Kim is unbelievable. Uh, I've traveled all over the world with her on the team, uh-huh. uh, World Cup teams and the Olympics, and uh, she's a class act, both as a competitor and uh, just a lot of fun to get to know. Yeah. And you all have a facility and is in Colorado, I believe. Colorado Springs, Colorado. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Very cool. So I'm sure that was a, you know, having that Team USA jersey on was, was pretty surreal. It's an incredible experience to represent the country. Hmm. Um, it's, it's pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So obviously that's very cool. And that's going to lead us into what we're going to talk about here in a minute. But I want to talk about hunting and from McAllen, I'm sure dove hunting, like you said, was a big part of that. So today I'm going to be disappointed if you don't take a, let's just say a 28 gauge and 15 shells out and come back to the limit. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me that's the reality. It, it, you know, bird shooting is, is so much different, I think, on the clay than any of the clay shooting sports. Uh-huh. Uh, but it's, it's an amazing experience. We were actually out opening weekend with family and friends, uh, enjoying that experience. And that's one that I've enjoyed uh, since I was doing... Uh, I was the retriever, uh, yeah. uh, I think at probably four or five years old and have to, you know, you have to battle the dogs to actually go retrieve the birds and, uh, be a part of the experience from a very young age. So yeah. something we love. Well, yeah, but th- there's times for modesty. This is not it. So, uh, if you were going to go <laughs> dove hunting and they, the birds were flying, how many shells would it take you to get a limit? I typically try and shoot a limit within a box. Uh-huh. Okay. Um, and I, I'm going to say try on that because sometimes the birds are testy. Yeah. I do miss. Well, the average Texas dove hunter takes seven shells to kill one dove. That's uh, statistically what Texas Parks and Wildlife has told me. 
So first of all, you and I are in the wrong business because we should have got into shotgun shell manufacturing <laughs> because Texans kill 4 million doves. You do the math. That's a lot of freaking ammo. Um, I think on opening day, my I, I took the wife and the kids and my wife was looking at me like, you host a hunting show for a living, right? And yet all these birds are flying by and all I'm hearing is bang and nothing's dying. And I think it took me... Uh, Took me seventy shells to get fifteen birds. So I was under the average, but not by much. It's good so. for the economy. It is. It is. And uh, yeah, I felt I was a little embarrassed because I had the kids there, and they were just like, "What in the world's going on here?" But yeah, I used to before I had kids. I used to shoot more, you know, and uh, would practice, and just kind of like also like things that kind of go by the wayside. Shooting a lot and training the dog, like. Thank God, Belle is uh, better than me because it's she's like it's like riding a bike for her. She doesn't miss a beat. She retrieved all fifteen birds, no problem. When I was lucky enough to hit them, uh, but yeah, the uh, the practice aspect is is one of those things. I'm like, yeah, don't have time for that anymore. <laughs> so, um, what about your uh, what about your hunting plans for this fall? I know you also like to pursue big game. You were telling me you're out uh, shooting long range for an upcoming hunt. I think in Wyoming. I do. I actually. Uh uh, I shoot a bow every morning. I try to every evening as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that may be 20 or 30 arrows just trying to get reps in. Yeah. Uh, the, I kind of learned that from the shooting sports side earlier in life that, uh, practice is critical and it's something we, you know, we try and teach, uh, whether you're shooting archery or shotgun or rifle, uh, trying to turn, instead of just practicing right before hunting season, you're trying to turn this into a, you know, year round lifelong sport. So, uh, getting ready for a big, uh, big game Western hunt here coming up, uh, which is totally new for me. Uh-huh. Uh, just started exploring uh, Colorado and Wyoming. Being a, a South Texas boy, it's uh, it's another world hunting in the mountains. So, you know, very excited to uh, expand the horizons. And, and what are you hunting? I'll be hunting uh, mule deer and antelope. Oh, wow. In Wyoming. In Wyoming. That's awesome, man. Very cool. I've never uh, I've never hunted Wyoming. Montana a couple times. Just got back, like I was telling you, and... And I put in the practice this summer and still didn't, you know, I, I missed, like I was telling you, and things happened, but I walked away from it thinking, man, I think uh, I'm certainly a better elk hunter having that experience than I was previously. And and like I told you, I shot and missed this one where we saw the arrow just clip a limb, sail over his back. Next thing you know, my buddy who's an assassin has stopped it with a cow call and, and shot. I'm just here, this whoosh of an arrow from behind my head. <laughs> And then the bull just like this big hole opens up in his side and he runs 40 yards and falls over dead. And I was like, oh, so that's an elk hunter compared to a couple Texas tourists, you know. It's a good experience. <laughs> it's a learning experience. Well, that's what we wanted. We wanted to learn from him. And he was like, he was like a mercenary. <laughs> it's a good shot. Yeah. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. We've talked about your background. I want to come back and discuss what you're doing today uh, with the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. That sounds great. Excellent. And that segment of the show proudly brought to you by Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. Be sure to grab a 12-pack on your way to the Deer Lease this fall, or hey, maybe you're headed to Lake Fork to chase those monster bass. Whatever the case, celebrate punch tags and tight lines with a nice cold Lone Star Beer. Lone Star Beer, the national beer of Texas. We'll be right back with former Olympic shotgunner Sean McClellan on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Hi, 
Hi, I'm Luke Anderson, the owner of Colt Construction. I'm also a proud outdoorsman and proud to support the Lone Star Outdoor Show. With roots dating back generations of hard work in the outdoors, I take pride in serving the citizens of the Lone Star State. There are tons of so-called roofing contractors in North Texas, but having a qualified, experienced, trustworthy one to deal with is few and far between. We want to be your one-stop shop to leave it better than we found it and have a relationship that goes past just improving your home or business. We run on three main principles. Quality, because quality comes with a price. We want to do it right the first time and use the best materials. Integrity, because you want to know the true condition of your home or business. And I'm going to be honest and tell you exactly what I think. Grit, because I've swung the hammer. Bottom to top, I've done the labor. I know how the system works. We specialize in many different systems, including metal, clay tile, flat roofing, and good old shingles. You can find us at coltbuilds.com, our Facebook page, or our phone number is 817-789-7588. Colt Construction, dirty hands, clean money, your blue-collar guy to call. I have seen the whites of your knuckles, and I've seen the blood in your spit. You can give up, you can give in, but you can never quit. You can never quit. Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Getting a little help there from the band of Heathens. Thank you guys and gals so much for being here today. Appreciate it very much as we are visiting with former Team USA shotgunner Sean McClelland. And we're going to pick it back up with Sean momentarily. We've got some interesting stuff to get into regarding the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. But first, this segment is brought to you by First Light. You know, I just got back from an epic moose hunt in Newfoundland. And if you know anything about Newfoundland, you know that it's basically a wet, boggy, soggy mess for 12 months out of the year. That was no exception on my trip, so... I wore a pair of uh, First Light muck boots. And more importantly than that, though, the First Light Zero Cold Weather Sock. And, and here's why it's important. is because, yeah, I stepped in a bog, almost lost my boot, water came pouring into my boot, and my sock got soaked. It's 35 degrees outside. I don't have another pair of socks on me. But because I was wearing... That sock, the Zero Cold Weather sock, it's merino wool. I wrung it out, put the wet sock back on my foot, and I was warm. It's absolutely amazing. Went the entire day with a wet foot. Never was cold. So check it out. The Zero Cold Weather sock, you can find it at firstlight.com. First Light, go further. Stay longer. All right. Well, with that being said, I certainly want to get back into it here with Sean McClelland, and you told us a little bit about your background, Sean, as far as uh, you know, being a member of Team USA, competing for your country at the 2008 Beijing Games. But now let's go ahead and get into what you do today, because it's a uh, an organization that I am a big fan of, and I'm thrilled to have you here in studio to tell us all about it. I'm the executive director for the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. Right, and I'm somewhat familiar with your organization. It used to be called the Dallas Ecological Society. And uh, since its existence, you've worked hand in hand with Dallas Safari Club. Um, they also happen to be the title sponsor of our show. But I think back in 2014, the name was changed to Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. Yes. You know, we've had a longstanding relationship with Dallas Safari Club. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're an incredible donor. Uh, the member base is uh, very education centered. 
very, I mean, they're, they're very pro North American model oh, yeah. uh, of wildlife conservation, uh, which lends to interacting with our membership and the kids and, and conservation uh, all hand in hand. And for that, it's pretty amazing. You've been with the organization for a couple of years. I did, and um, just be, you just became executive director. So congratulations, by oh, the way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, you know they found out, um, you know, several years ago that uh, you know we just had a regional base in DFW, mm-hmm. and uh, with changing the name to Outdoors Tomorrow, um, it really led to expanding and scaling uh, to several other states. Yeah. So how many states are we in now? Um, here, going on thirty-four states. Oh wow, wow! And so this is a a school by school program where like the things that outdoors tomorrow is interested in are like introducing kids into archery, hunting, shooting, fishing, boater safety, hunter ed, uh, camping, even outdoor cooking. And the class for that is called, uh, outdoor adventures. Okay. And that's a 180 day course. Uh And that teaches everything. Uh, and actually, uh, as part of the show, which is special for us, uh, they actually kick off the class at the first part of the semester when you sign up for the class. Uh, it typ- typically is a physical education course huh. or an elective or ag science. They actually kick it off with hunter safety. Oh, wow. That's cool. The first 20 hours of the course, you get hunter safety, then boater safety. And they actually get the certification cards in the class. Wow. So you don't have to waste a whole Saturday going and doing that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're doing it in school and getting credit for it. That's awesome. They are indeed. And, and, uh, it's much more in depth than you're going to get just on a Saturday. Uh-huh. Um, Not that the Saturday's a waste, but you know, it's like if you could do it in school, I wouldn't, I wish I would have had the opportunity. Very much. So yeah. uh, we hear that actually all the time. Uh, that actually accounted, uh, just for the class accounted for over 14,000 Hunter Ed certifications last year in Texas alone. Wow. Wow. Okay. So how many uh, schools are enrolled? Uh, nationwide, 516. Okay. And I say that, uh, I haven't talked These to are our... high schools? Uh, middle schools and high schools. Wow, okay. So middle school opportunity. And we are, uh, we're in the midst of launching an elementary school program. Um, instead of uh, 20 or 30 skills, that might have two or three skills on the elementary level. Uh, includes a lot of fun games that really teach them wildlife conservation uh-huh. um, and all the fun activities they can do at that age. Very cool. I, like this is on a, on a different note, but um, when I was, say, in elementary school, one of the things that I loved doing, because I didn't grow up hunting. I grew up fishing. I really got into hunting uh, as a, a young adult. And uh, my dad and I, though, before I liked to kill birds, we liked to just bird watch, you know. And <laughs> so we had this Birds of North America book. And we would, uh, anytime we'd see a species we hadn't seen, and, and I really liked the birds of prey. That was always like my favorite, like to see some hawk that I hadn't seen before. Um, but we would mark like where we saw it. If we were on family vacation somewhere, you know, we'd write where we saw it and the date and everything. And I'm pretty sure I still have that in the studio somewhere. But uh, that was one thing like that, uh, that I certainly enjoyed as a kid that I imagine something, you know, educational stuff like that is a part of the curriculum. It definitely is. Uh, you know, on the, uh, being able to mark on a map of where they are and what they're seeing, mm-hmm. uh, whether they're bird watching or just finding your way around town. Uh, one of the pieces that's taught in the curriculum is orienteering, uh-huh. which I feel like for a lot of things is a lost art. Yeah. So um, I know on our upcoming upcoming trips and uh, on the technology side, which we're, we typically stray away you, from on the classroom end. Yeah. Uh, You're not handing the kids garments. <laughs> <laughs> or using Onyx hunt maps. Right, right. So 
<laughs> we're, we're trying to teach the other side of that of actually uh, the ma- actual old school mapping end of it. Uh-huh. Um, so there's a starting point. Well, so on that Elcon I just got back from, and we, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I had my buddies on to, to recap that. One of my friends, we, uh, we were celebrating. We, Ty had shot the elk, and so we had this big bonfire going, and it was, but it was pouring down rain, and we needed more wood. So, of course, we'd all had a few bourbons at this point, and my buddy Chisholm maybe had overserved himself. He didn't drink very often. Next thing you know, he disappears, and he's like, I'm going to get more firewood. Like, okay, go knock yourself out. We're going to sit here and drink bourbon by the fire. And like 10 minutes later, Ty's like, hey, uh, and he doesn't know Chisholm very well at this point. We've only known each other like three days. He's like, hey, your buddy is still not back. And it's pouring down rain. It's cold. I'm getting a little nervous. And I'm like, nah, he's fine. Like two minutes later, we hear this yelling. And I'm like, I guess he is lost. And so we yell back and he... uh <laughs> He's, he shows up, he's barefoot. We didn't know he didn't have shoes oh, on. Oh, no. But he got turned around. Luckily, he had a compass on his watch, and that's how he <laughs> tried to find his way <laughs> back to camp. So a little orienteering there. Compass is yeah. a good thing. Yeah. Uh, otherwise, he, we might have lost him in the mountains that night. But uh, Okay, so so those are some of the things that you guys are uh, you know teaching uh, throughout this program. How do schools... Or school, I don't know if it's a school-by-school school deal or an entire school district, but how do they get involved? You know, it's certainly nice when um, you have a superintendent or a curriculum coordinator uh, that can communicate with an entire district. Uh, but typically, uh, that's our education coordinator, Scott McClure, mm-hmm. uh, who, who is at Outdoors Tomorrow. Uh, and He's an incredible guy. I look forward to introducing you to him. Uh, Scott will go in and meet with the principal, superintendent, or curriculum coordinator, um, and that's introducing the curriculum directly to the school. Uh-huh. And then the school can decide what kind of equipment package they want and how much equipment that they need. And that's bows and arrows, fishing equipment, outdoor cooking with Dutch ovens. Mm. Um, those are all things that the school is purchasing and they're going to have in the classroom where they can teach you know, any of those skills that they want with the amount of kids they need uh, for that equipment. What about the shooting aspect, though? And is there are there a bunch of red flags as far as like I, I don't know if it's BB guns or pellet guns or twenty twos, but um, I imagine that there's. I bet that's a little more difficult. You know, firearm safety is a it's a critical aspect, and in the on the classroom side, it's purely conceptual. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are pieces that can be taught through the hunter education course. Yeah. Uh, but as far as the shooting aspect of it, uh, this is really the the gateway from uh, sort of like. Uh, learning how to throw a bait caster or a spinning rod, and then joining the bass fishing team. Sure. Uh, so it's like getting introduced to NASP Archery, National Archery and Schools Program, and then joining the archery team. Uh, the shooting sports aspect is exactly the same, where you're learning the safety aspects in the course. Uh, there aren't any actual firearms there. It's purely conceptual. Uh-huh. And then you have the opportunity to join a an organized uh, you know, safe sport team uh, that would be a shotgun sports or shooting team. Okay. I, I do want to ask you this because in this um, this climate, this climate that we live in today, we especially you know with DSC, um, they take a lot of blowback from the anti-hunting community, and they you know they say DSC's liars and um, that all we are you know bloodthirsty hunters and we don't care about conservation. We kill because we're bloodthirsty and that the conservation piece is just this guise that we use you know. Um, 
What about on, on this level, as far as like teaching kids about hunting, are there parents, let's say from said schools that the curriculum is being introduced into that, that are ticked off about that, that don't want their, maybe they're anti-hunting. They don't want their kids having anything to do with that. And then therefore mad that that's even a part of the curriculum. You know, that's a great question. And that's one that uh, is pretty easily addressed from a lot of angles. Uh, and some of those are that uh, we typically have the exact opposite response from this hmm. and that uh, most people I mean, it's encouraging. You, you don't know what you don't know. Yeah. And one of those aspects is that uh, the hunting side, uh, you learn that through the North American model of wildlife conservation, yeah. which teaches sustainable use. Um, and that's, uh, and also what I guess most people don't interact with a state wildlife agency. And when the parents start to learn about what's happening in their state, what the wildlife agency is doing for conservation, what their kids are learning about in the classroom, uh, learning about where your protein comes from, uh, where your vegetables come from, uh, those are critical aspects of, uh, of just outdoor education in general. But the, the blowback typically for that is, um, is not the case. And mostly because uh, once introduced, once the course is introduced in the school, most of those classes grow by 30% the first year. Uh, mm. The kids have better attendance records and improved behavior. Mm. And typically because this course, you hear this from any kid you ask that's in the class, it's the most fun thing they're doing at school. Sure. And namely Why because it be? <laughs> it's interactive. Are they looking forward to math class or are they looking forward to hunting and fishing talk and stuff? You know, it's like <laughs> they're going to get to go shoot a bow or throw a spinning rod for accuracy or uh-huh. uh, learn all of these things in the class. You know, so uh, they're things that uh, just like the math and the science, they're pieces that they're going to be able to take on and use these skills for the rest of their life. Mm. Okay. Very cool. Yeah. That's, I'm glad that that's the reaction that it's getting. Cause I would have thought, man, there's probably all these parents. See, for example, um, I have a buddy, he teaches, um, eighth grade history at Allen, uh, at Allen junior high here. And he also takes all of those eighth grade boys on a, a camp out for one weekend during the spring every, every year. And he asked me if I could shoot him a deer for that. And he makes this huge, like, uh, vat of, of chili for like 200 kids. And he tells me, you know, the sad thing is, is that, uh, 90%, I asked the kids and like 90% of them never tried wild game. And you think about like, so I'm thinking about those parents and, and like that they're, I'm not saying they're failing their kids. They, their kids are probably happy, you know, but they could be happier if they were having that outdoor introduction. And so he's kind of taking it on himself to, to introduce those kids to wild game and, and uh, he throws me a little small batch bourbon, so it's like old school frontier bartering, you know. <laughs> I don't ask for it, but he just gives it to me. You know, I love the wild game aspect of that. Uh, we have a, a teacher in South Texas, and I'll use this just individual story for this because it's it's one that I love. Um, you know, he'll he'll catch a redfish on the coast. Uh-huh. You know, if you're if you know if you're familiar with redfish, oh yeah, he'll catch a redfish on the coast. He'll bring it into school the next morning, show the kids the fish walk through what it looks like. He'll actually fillet it and fry it in the classroom. Wow. You're actually getting... That's awesome. You know, when you when you hear uh, you know, you hear the some of the lingo now, the farm-to-table piece, mm-hmm. you know, he's going C to classroom. Yeah. And the kids actually, you know, they're actually getting to see what it looks like. He's walking through the how to catch it, what happened, telling the story. They're getting to live that through him and then actually taste redfish in the class, which is, you know, by the way, if you, if you eat... Oh, you got, you look at my trout right there. You have a trout here on the wall yeah. in, the, in the 
at the studio. Mm. But uh, it's a special experience, and it's one that I hope uh, more kids get the opportunity to have that because when you walk into the supermarket and you grab a uh, you know you grab a piece of steak or chicken, you don't know where it comes from, you don't know how it comes there, you know it's just a piece of protein. But there's a piece missing of of that. Hey, how did I? How did this food get here? All I know is I went to the store and now it's on my plate. Yeah. They don't think about an animal had to die. That's I think the the disconnect in our society is like every time you eat anything, you know, something had to die. Hunters are no different than than you know how that meat ended up at Tom Thumb for six ninety nine a pound. You know, very much so. And it's a unique opportunity for you too, just being able to tell those you know several hundred kids how this chili got here. Mm-hmm. You know, that's a story that, you know, they're going to be taking home. That's one that, uh, most kids, when you actually tell them that story, they're excited to go do that too. Oh yeah. Uh, and that's yeah. a piece for, uh, for outdoors tomorrow, which is so special. Uh, you know, we partner with state wildlife agencies, uh, and other organizations where it's conceptual in the class. You know, you're getting a hunter ed certification, you know, boater ed certification, you know, learning all the different skills, but when we partner with other organizations and they actually take the kids on their first hunting trip, uh, first fishing trip, you know, take them to shoot archery, it's, it's an incredible life-changing experience. It's one that uh, we love just because it's conceptual. The kids learned it, and they actually go apply it, and we hear the stories uh, afterwards, and it's something we just think is amazing. Yeah. Well, very cool. So... For anyone out there listening, maybe there's parents that want to start putting the bug in their their kids' school district, you know, putting the bug in their ear about Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. Uh, how can that process begin? How does that ball start rolling? You know, from the uh, from the school side, we want to connect those people with Scott McClure. Okay. Uh, and that's going on our website at, at gootf.com. And you'll find Scott's contact information and um that's getting with any administrator, whether that's a principal, superintendent, and connecting them with Scott. And uh, you know, we're I think we're batting a thousand on introductions for introducing the class into schools. Wow, wow. So I, I was also reading one other interesting uh, statistic here. I was I was reading on the website over a quarter of a million kids have gone through the program since its inception. It's it's. Uh, it sounds like a big number for where we're going. Mm-hmm. Uh, that number is going to get a lot bigger. Yeah. And to, to think too, and uh, you know, when you hear you know any of us say this, and you say, "Well, right now we have a little over fifty thousand kids taking the class this semester." That's every semester. That's every year. Uh, that number is just growing. So it's not just fifty thousand this year. Wow. That'll be over fifty thousand next semester and the following. Uh, we're growing. We're growing at about a rate uh, the same as the the kids part of it as part of being in the classroom, we're also growing at about a 30% rate. So uh, that's awesome. There'll be a jump here real soon to being 80,000 kids. And then uh, the hope there in, in four years is that we'll have over a hundred thousand kids every single semester uh, taking outdoor adventures. Well, I mean, obviously the importance of our youth in the outdoors, you know, can't be overstated. Uh, they're the future. Like I told you earlier, I've got a six-year-old and two four-year-olds. And uh, I know my son is going to go down this path. He, he's eaten up with it. My girls are, you know, they, they like they like tagging along. But I think they'll, they'll get into it as we go. But, I mean, that's the future. Um, so instilling these values in them at an early age is paramount. And the ability to do that in, in school, um, it's, it's awesome. It truly is. 
I mean, like I said, I, I knew about the organization. I didn't know all of these details. So um, I'm happy to support it. And, and it's been really great having you here in the studio. Oh, and it's been such a pleasure. And I uh, do want to tell you, uh, we have uh, uh, fundraisers to support the organization. It's how we Excellent. grow. Yeah. Uh, both from the granting support from organizations like Dallas Safari Club, Park Seas Quail, uh-huh. um, and, and so many others, so many other conservation groups and individuals. Uh, but we, we will have a uh, concert coming up on February 27th, and then our Outdoor Adventures Cup Sporting Clay event uh, at Dallas Gun Club on April 2nd. Okay. And yeah, uh, I see the OTF on your uh, on your shirt there. So We would love to have you out at both of those, and we encourage people to uh, go onto our site and sign up for those. Uh, it's going to be an incredible concert. Who's playing? Uh, I, I can't release that yet. I'll, I'll tell you uh, I'll tell you in November. I bet the odds are they've probably been on the show, I would imagine. They're, they're a pretty big deal, uh, pretty big music artist, so we're very excited about it. And uh, I would love to have you out if you uh, yeah. you want to get start brushing up early for the... February is like the one month of the year where it's like my wife generally, like she absolutely believes, oh, this isn't hunting season because it's like, you know, you haven't gotten to spring <laughs> turkey. She used to think it was just like a three-month deal, and then she's like... Now he goes to Africa and he goes to Newfoundland to go moose hunting and does all this. She's like, hunting season never ends, but February, we can do something in February. We just <laughs> we want to make sure you're not hunting on that weekend. Yeah, yeah. awesome. So that's February 27th, you said? February 27th uh, and April 2nd, too. We would love to have you and your wife there. Look yeah, forward to that. We'd love to do it. Uh, give us the website one more time. G-O-O-T-F.com. That's gootf.com. Perfect. Well, Sean, man, certainly enjoyed it, and uh, this is uh, this is great work that you guys are doing. It's been such a pleasure. All right, there he goes, Sean McClellan, Executive Director of Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. And uh, that segment, by the way, was proudly brought to you by Dallas Safari Club, the worldwide leader in big game conservation. See, DSC is made up of folks like you and I who are passionate about conservation, hunters' rights, and education just like the Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation. That's a big part of what they believe in, what they stand for. I'd love to invite you to become a member, and you can do so by heading over to our website, and that's biggame.org. Up next, we'll switch gears and visit with Outdoor Access founder Buck Robinson. We all know lease prices are expensive, and they continue to go up. So Outdoor Access came up with a solution to get you on private land at a rate that the average guy can afford. We'll discuss next on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Crazy moon, keep on shining down. We'll sing a song to you. Crazy moon. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Been lost for a long time Kept on searching for something I never could Right. 
Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. A little help there from Folk Soul Revival. Uh, thank you guys and gals for being here today. Thanks to Dallas Safari Club, our title sponsor, as always. Uh, we are about to get into a topic that I think most people are going to find interesting and informative because what what is the one thing that hunters generally complain about the most? For those who don't own their own land, it's hunter access. Whether that's accessing private land or public land access, it's it's all about opportunity, right? There's not enough, not enough opportunity. There's not enough opportunity close to where I live. So on and so on. I get it. I've been there. I'm still there sometimes. Uh, but outdoor access has what I think is an actual solution to that issue. And we're going to discuss what they've brought to the table here momentarily. But first, this segment is proudly brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy mounts for a long, long time. I trust them. They answer the phone when I call, and they do amazing work. How about that? Uh, kind of rare in taxidermists these days, but when you find one that does those three things, well, you stick with them. So, for your next trophy mount, head over to gr the number 8 mountscom That's gr the number 8 mountscom with that being said, let's bring on our next guest. He is the founder of Outdoor Access, and here to tell us all about it, it is my pleasure to welcome Buck Robinson to the show. It is a pleasure and an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, first of all, let's get to know you a little bit as far as where you're from and, and what you enjoy hunting. Yep, sure. Well, so I grew up in L.A., so I didn't really have much exposure to hunting. Oh, man. Well, we won't hold that against you. <laughs> yeah, so I was going to say, I, I came to it late in life, but at least I got here sooner than later. But yep. uh did do a little bit of pig hunting over in Hawaii, and then I went to school in Pennsylvania for uh, for college and, and had, obviously, a, a lot of opportunity to hunt deer for the first time there. And that's really my still, to this day, my primary uh, uh, quarry is going after deer. I just love not just uh, the hunting of them, but the eating of them as well. And my kids have grown up eating venison. My, uh, we, I, you know, every once in a while we'll maybe buy a steak, but otherwise all the red meat that we consume in our household is stuff that I bring home from the field. So it's a very, it's a, it's a great, great way for me not just to be able to go out and fill the freezer and provide for my family, but I also just love it in terms of uh, everything about being in the field helps me to feel more human. Well, yeah, and, and it's uh, – I, I feel bad for kids that, that grow up and they don't eat wild game, unlike your kids or, or my kids. Uh, something that is truly missing from a childhood, in my opinion. And, well, uh, you know, and the funny thing about it is you hear all these people who want to say to them, you know – they're like, well, you know, I don't like venison. I'm like, why don't you like venison? They're like, well, it's gamey or whatever that means. And I'm like, okay, do you know that the burger you just ate, that was venison? And the the look on their face is like, what? <laughs> and 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 seriously, I'm like, so I I really do believe that in many ways food is the is the bridge to help a lot of people who don't hunt have an appreciation for why those of us who do what we do do it. And when I make uh, my bacon wraps, jalapeno popper, venison poppers, I'm telling you right there, people are like, I don't know that I would hunt, but I fully endorse you hunting and making that anytime you want. Absolutely. Yeah, my mom is one of those people, <laughs> and she, she's like, oh, I, didn't, I don't eat wild game. I'm like, mom. 
that kebab I just fed you, I told you it was beef. It was Sandhill Crane Filet. And you just told me yeah, how good right. it was. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, she's one of the – she's like, I don't want – I don't. you know, if she's coming over, she's like uh, – we. I, actually, last week I made venison burgers um, from a nil guy I shot in South Texas. And I had to grill freaking chicken breast for her. Everyone else ate, oh, you know. come on now. Yeah, so – there are people out there, the ones, they're the weird ones that are like, I'll, yeah. I'll eat meat, but I don't want to eat wild game. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and I, and, and I, like I say, I come back to it, and and my kids uh, love it, they crave it, and it's and I feel good about knowing that we're providing them with something that's that healthy. Yeah, well, and it goes back to her childhood. My mom didn't grow up eating it, so to her, yep. it's off-putting, but, uh, yep. you know, you give her a plate of liver and onions, and that was, that was like good food to her. <laughs> oh man uh but anyway chuck i want to talk about outdoor access that's why we're here today and uh this is a a company that i don't know how how old is it now so we actually started in september of 2016 so we're essentially three years old and we started it it's kind of an interesting genesis story we started it in three counties in central virginia which is where we're located uh, and we started with 13 properties with an average size of about three acres. So very small properties. And it wasn't, um, at that point, it wasn't even about hunting at large. It was about a particular season that we have here in Virginia that's called urban archery. Uh-huh. And essentially, it's getting people out at the beginning of the season. It starts in September. And it actually runs at the end of the season as well for three additional months in January, February, and March. And it's really centered, as the name implies, on these suburban areas where there's a very high concentration of both people and deer, and they need some effective means of keeping the deer in check, Mm. uh, aside from them ending up on the hoods of cars. And so they created this season, and the problem was that even though uh, you know our Department of Game and Inland Fisheries had created it, nobody was participating, because hunters didn't know how to get access to these types of properties. This was a non-traditional type of property and, you know, driving up and down streets and camo, knocking on doors, not going to necessarily get you the best reception, maybe even get you arrested. And at the same time, a lot of landowners didn't realize that it was legal for people to do this. So we saw that there was a need and we created kind of a marketplace for supply and demand to find one another. And lo and behold, uh, it, within two, within one year, within one year, 25% of all of the deer that were harvested during the uh, urban archery season in Virginia were being harvested through outdoor access. And so the state actually got really excited because they were like, hey, whatever you're doing, this is finally getting this idea that was not really being in practice to get used. And now people are, deer are getting harvested. People are happy. We're having fewer accidents. You know, the, the, the positive effects of it were being felt. So we took it from there and we have since grown it. We're now, um, we're technically in about 14 states, uh-huh. but in reality, we're in, in, in a critical mass of properties in Virginia, North Carolina. Uh, with this year, we're expanding into Pennsylvania and South Carolina, but I'm also really excited. And that's why I'm on the phone with you is really excited about planting our flag in Texas. And we're not going after Texas at large at this point. Eventually, of course, we're going to look to be in every county in Texas. But for right now, we're really focused on the Dallas metro area. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. But but we're really excited to be in Texas. And of course, 
you know, going back to that original 13 properties, now we have almost 600 properties and our average property size is about 115 acres. Okay. Though we do have several pro- parcels that are three, four, 500 acres. We even have a couple that are several thousand acres. So we have a much, from, from those very humble, small beginnings, we now have a much broader diversity of properties that are available, including deer properties, waterfowl properties, wild pig properties, you name it. Um, and it really has been something that it's amazing to look back and say it's only been three years. It's shocking to really see how fast it's taken off. Well, one thing that I want to make sure our listeners understand is this is not like a traditional deer lease. This is, you can book it. Well, I'll let you talk about the uh, the actual website yeah. and how you do it. But it's it's essentially, hey, I want to go, I don't have a lease. I don't have a, a permanent lease. So I want to go deer hunting this weekend. Okay, well, I go, I become a member of Outdoor Access, and I get on the website, and I can basically surf through available properties based off of what I want to hunt and the experience that I want to have. That, that's exactly right. And, and you know, a lot of people compare us to something like Airbnb. So if your listeners are familiar with an Airbnb type of platform for trying to find lodging, uh-huh. essentially they can see us as the same thing but for outdoor recreational use of land. So if you are looking for a property to go out and be able to utilize for a day, a weekend, a week, we do offer seasonal leases as well. So there okay. are there is that opportunity, but the key is convenience. We're able to be able to say to you, and, and, and I, one thing that I would say is we do actually have some people who will say, hey, I actually have a lease, and it's for, you know, 200 acres, but it's three hours from me, right? And I get out there as much as I can get out there. But I don't hunt as often as I could just because of proximity. It's just mm-hmm. not next. It's just not close. And so they'll utilize outdoor access to say, hey, now I can find a tree I can get into 10 minutes from my house. I can hunt a lot more often. doesn't mean I don't use the lease. It just means that it, it's not an either or. It's an yeah. and. It's a complement to that traditional model. And where it has really taken off is with people – and this is one of the reasons why we've specifically chosen the Dallas area to launch in in the Texas market, is that it's really appealing to people who aren't from a particular place, right? So they're transplants. Mm. They move we have a lot of those work. in North Texas. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say, they move there because of work, they move there because they're part of the military, and they get stationed someplace. Or like um, you wanted and- to get the hell out of California. Oh, you know, hardly even packed my bags, didn't want to, you know, get the heck out of there as fast as possible. <laughs> But but the reality is that those folks now all of a sudden find themselves as strangers in a strange land, and they need they, they it it can be very intimidating. Uh, certainly, there's people who do this, but it can be very intimidating to go out and knock on doors and try and find a place. Or you may be in a situation where you're like, well, you know, if there's hunt clubs or something like that, it's a lot of money and a big commitment to do that, and maybe that's not what they're looking for. So what we offer is this really easy way for people to, I mean, literally as easy as if you were going to a travel website and picking out a hotel to book a hotel room, you can go to Outdoor Access, find a property that fits the needs of what you're looking for. You can choose by property size. You can choose by type of game that you're hunting. You can uh, choose by distance from where you are. So there's all these different variables that you can use to find what you're looking for. And then when you find it, you can reserve it. Um, and one thing that I was saying uh, that you had mentioned is that it is a membership-based organization. A lot of people are like, well, you know, you don't have to be a member of Airbnb, so why do you have to do that? And it's very simple. Um, 
we did it as a membership because we do two things that are required by our insurance. One, every member has to pass a criminal background check, uh-huh. and that's to address the issue and concern that a lot of landowners have of, well, people knock on my door, but I don't know who they are, right? Like, I don't know if this is somebody that I want to have on my property, oh, especially with a weapon. Yeah. So we put everybody through a criminal background check, and then when you are out there on that reservation, you are actually covered, and the landowner is covered by outdoor access is liability insurance. So mm-hmm. that's a really critical thing. Cause again, you know, a lot of people say to us all the time, they're like, well, I wish it could just be like it was back in the day when you could just knock on Mrs. Jones door and offer to, you know, fix Mrs. Jones gate. And in return, she gave you hunting access. And, and I wish I could create a time machine to take us all back to those days. But the reality is in today's day and age, you go and climb in a tree stand and fall out of it. Mrs. Jones may end up getting sued and lose her farm because she allowed you to go out there and didn't properly protect herself. Well, we make sure that that doesn't happen. Okay. okay? So from that perspective, you do become a member. And then as a member, you can book a property. You can take guests with you on that property. The, the number of guests is determined by how, how many the landowner wants you wants to allow. Uh, you can scout that property for free. All we ask is that you make a, you let us know when you're going to be out there so that we can alert, alert the landowner and make sure that there's no other member that's going to be out there for safety's sake. So it gets, we've addressed over the last three years, we've had almost 15,000 reservations, mm-hmm. and we've encountered just about every scenario that can happen. And so the the model has evolved based on all of those practical experiences to really now, if you, if one of your listeners is like checking it out, it's head and shoulders better than it was. And if they check it out a year from now, it'll be even better because it just keeps evolving and improving, not just in terms of, you know, the, the kind of the bells and whistles and benefits that we offer to those members, but just in terms of the, the, the properties that we have. I mean, it has just grown. Uh, if you were a Virginia hunter who joined us in 2016, when you now look at the breadth of properties and the variety of properties that we offer, it's uh, just, and we know that that will be exactly the same case in Texas, uh, because right now in, in three months, we already have, I think, 50 properties currently available, and we're looking to onboard another dozen between now and this, and this November. So it's growing that quickly. And you were just here, uh, we were exchanging emails, and you were you mentioned you were headed to Dallas. I imagine you were going to meet with some landowners. Yeah, we're we're you know we're we're based in Richmond, um, Virginia, uh-huh. and and yet we have had teams continually at one point or another every month in in Dallas, uh, meeting with landowners, meeting with prospective members. We were um, at a, at a trade event in uh, in Dallas as well. So I mean, yeah, we we are there and will be there to stay. So this is not just a superficial commitment. We are boots on the ground committed to uh, making the Texas market work and really using it as kind of the tentpole for our entire Midwestern expansion up the uh, up the gut of the United States. Well, let me ask you this, and, and I'm sure, sure that potential uh, folks who want to use the service, become a member, want to know this, but also if you're a landowner out there and you've got 150 acres or 60 acres or whatever, you want to enroll your property. How do you, at Outdoor Access, how do you vet that property? So it's interesting you say that because we have everything from one acre to one thousand acres in our in our in our program, and so a lot of the landowners that we 
you touch base with or get, get in contact with will say, well, nobody's going to want to hunt my property. It's only 30 acres. And, and we'll be like, well, yeah, absolutely. People will want to hunt your property. It may not be appropriate for rifle hunting, but it may be totally appropriate for uh, archery or bow hunting. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's getting people out of that kind of preconceived notion of what constitutes a hunting property and allowing them to see that there's a much broader market out there. And one of our things for the landowners, one, it doesn't cost the landowner a penny to post his or her property in our program. Two, like I said before, we vet all of the members with a criminal background check. We provide them with the liability insurance. But more importantly, the landowner has complete control. So the landowner can turn their calendar on and off at any time. They're not locked into a 52-week lease. They're locked into nothing. We literally give them maximum flexibility. They can take the property on or off at any time. Uh, they can set the price. And our average rental is about $25 per day. In Texas, we're finding that it's going to be closer to about $50 per day, mm -hmm. simply because some of the properties are much larger. But <clears throat> they are also able to set whatever rules they want. So if a landowner says, hey, I'm you can only shoot bucks of a certain size, or I want you to come out and take a certain number of does or whatever it may be um, within whatever according to the state regulations, but the landowner can set whatever additional rules they want. Um, yeah. But one of the things that was hard for us, especially as we were getting to your question, bringing a lot of properties on simultaneously was, you know, a landowner can sometimes have a, an unrealistic expectation about what their property is really like. Or in a lot of cases, we actually get a lot of landowners who inherited the property or haven't been to the property in a long time. So this isn't their home. This is a property that they may have ownership of, but that they haven't been to in five or six yeah, years. Yeah, they're not utilizing they, it, right? Yeah, and they have no idea what the status of the property is like. They may have some great memory of what it was like, but today it's overgrown and looks like, you know, it's not exactly ideal. Let's put it that way. Mm -hmm. So we have had a very real um, uh, investment on our part of sending not just our own team members out to the properties to that what is what that property really has, um, see what kind of condition it's really in, get some photos of the property, put up some trail cameras, do all the things that would be necessary for us to be able to confirm that, that this is a viable uh, property for our members to rent. Um, but then at the same time, we also are shorthanded and we don't have to up that big of a staff. So we've actually got members now who are coming aboard and serving in what we call our pioneer program. And they are able to go out and do a lot of that field work on our behalf and in return may get like preferential uh, access to those properties. So they're going out and doing a lot of that boots on the ground reconciliation for us. And we're able to reward them by giving them uh, rental credits and or first dibs on some of these properties. So it's 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 again a part that's evolving as we're especially as we're expanding geographically, uh -huh. but we're finding that we have members who are like, hey, I I'll be happy to go out there and do all of that kind of stuff, and you don't have to pay me to do it. I'll do it in return for being able to go out and get the first two weeks of the season uh, as my as my uh, you know compensation. So we're figuring out kind of unique ways. Um, and of course, like any kind of shared economy model, whether you're talking about Uber or Airbnb, both sides of the equation are able to rate one another. So after the experience, we send a, a survey out to the member and says, you know, how was your hunt? And they can tell us about what their experience was like. And at the same time, the landowner can say, what was your experience like dealing with this member? And 
you know, that kind of an accountability tool has proven to be very successful in other applications. And we're finding that it's similarly, uh, 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 you know, effective here, where if somebody is constantly going out to a property and the property is like there's this loud or it's, it's, there's no game or whatever, you know, it, word gets around. And in our model, you know, members can see what other members have said about their experiences out there. And very quickly, no one's going to rent that property if it's continually getting a one-star rating. Right. In the same way, if a member is going out and leaving trash or doing anything, landowners can say, hey, this guy's supposed to be coming out to my property. I see he's had issues with the last three rentals that he's done. I'm not going to let him come out. So that immediately allows people to realize that they can't game the system and that they have to play nice. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Well, that's that's obviously a great way to keep things, you know, check checks and balances. Um, yep. And what about as far as, and, and this is probably all listed when you're looking at a property, you're like, hey, maybe I want to rent this one. It will tell you if there's feeders or tree stands or a blind or or a, how does all of that, are all those details included there? So yeah, all of those details are included. And one of the things that has been interesting for us to see from an evolution of the model has been um, that first year. All right. So let's just go through a scenario with that landowner, right? Landowner has this property. He inherited it. Maybe at some point in the future, he intends to do something with it, but right now it's just sitting there fallow and he's paying taxes on it, right? Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden he sees this opportunity in outdoor access that he can be able to maybe make some money or at least have some, uh, and, and trust me, for a lot of our absentee, what we call our absentee landowners, it's almost as valuable to them to just have people out on the property watching the property so that people aren't trespassing on it or dumping on it or doing whatever as it is to make any money. So from that perspective, he's getting the dual benefit of some income, plus he's got some eyes on the prize. Right. And then he looks at it and says, hey, that was, you know, that was pretty good. How, how would I make even more money, let's say? And that's when all of a sudden it's cool to watch our supply base start thinking entrepreneurially, right? So in the same way that if you get into an Uber and, you, you know, he's got – drinks in a cooler for you and he's got, you know, what music would you like to listen to and all and makes it for a better experience. You're going to rate that Uber driver better. And then he's going to be able to get, you know, more, uh, more tips and everything else. So he's investing in his business. Well, in the same way, our landowners start investing in their business because now they realize it has economic payoff for them to do that. So we have people who in that next year are like, Hey, uh, now I'm going to bush hog the property and now I'm going to put up some feeders and now I'm going to do that stuff. So even a good property can get better with each successive season because we start showing that landowner ways that they can be able to improve the quality of the property, improve the experience that, that member is going to have. And in return, not only get more rentals, but maybe even be able to get a higher yield for themselves. So we get them to start thinking about it, not as better than nothing, but that this is really something that if they're smart about it, they can be able to turn into a really nice piece of revenue. Mm -hmm. Okay. So the million dollar question, we'll have to wait because we do need to take a quick break, but we'll find out what this costs because I think, you know, Buck, that's where you're going to either uh, set the hook or you're going to lose people. If it's too expensive, they're not going to be interested. So we're going to tackle that after the break. Uh, that segment was brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging. If you haven't seen the new Axion Thermal Monocular, well, what the hell are you waiting for? 
It's pocket-sized, but still comes with all the big features that you would expect from a Pulsar thermal unit. You can find it at PulsarNV.com, and get this, you'll save 20% off your order. That's off any thermal or night vision optic when you use my promo code LONESTAR. That's LONESTAR at PulsarNV.com. We'll be right back with more from Outdoor Access's Buck Robinson on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Got a handle on my bottle. Hey y'all, spring is here, and that means a lot of things, but specifically, your lawn is about to become your own worst nightmare. That's why I use JC's Landscaping. They do everything from lawn and landscape maintenance to fertilization and weed control. New premium sod installations. Hey, you need a French drain? I had to have them put in a French drain a couple years ago. They do that too. Landscaping updates, makeovers, stone borders, patios, and much more. Serving the North Dallas and surrounding areas, you can find them at jclandscapingllc.com and tell them cable sent you. Howdy folks, I'm Lee Hoffair for Hoffair's Outdoor Superstore in Gulfway, Texas. I hope you're enjoying the Lone Star Outdoor Show. We've been a title sponsor for a number of years now, and we're proud to be a part of it. I'd also like to thank you for making Hoffair's once again the number one Polaris dealer in Texas. She's smiling back across the floor. Hey, bartender, pour one more. If I had to guess, that's one, two in her eyes. She's playing with her hair. Invite me to take the dare And I'm thinking maybe I just might Alright, that's the music of Jason Allen Smooth Talk Lady Bringing us back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show Powered by Dallas Safari Club Cable Smith here with you today Thank you for being here It's wonderful to be talking all things outdoors with you today And we've still got Outdoor Access's founder Buck Robinson here with us this morning but before we get back into it with buck this segment of the show proudly brought to you by the vortex razor hd 4000 laser rangefinder i'm not smart enough to pretend to you know tell you how it works all i know is it's badass it's the best rangefinder that i've ever looked through the clarity is amazing which you would expect from vortex and the laser itself has a reflective range farther than you're ever going to need to shoot like over a mile uh 2200 yards detection range that's well over 6,000 feet, a mile is 5,280 feet. Yeah, so over a freaking mile. Check it out. It's the Razer HD 4000. You can find it at VortexOptics.com. Vortex, the force of optics. Now, uh, with that being said, let's get back into it here with Buck. You know, we talked about hunter access being a, a major issue and a complaint among outdoorsmen and women, uh, Buck, and, and that's why you guys created Outdoor Access, which we hit on a little bit, but... The million-dollar question is, what does it cost to become a member? Yeah, so that's interesting. We, we, we have a couple of different tiers of membership, and one of them is uh, called our basic membership, and that's only $29 a year. Uh, and the, at $29, you, the only limitation is you're only able to hunt two weekends out of the year. So we actually created that as – we don't call it a non-hunting membership, but it really was geared towards a lot of the folks that were utilizing our platform for fishing or relic hunting or drone flying. Because that's the thing. We're, we're not just hunting access, right? We're outdoor access. Right. That landowner says, hey, you can come horseback riding on my property. You can come out and daisy pick. I don't care what you do, but here's what, it, you, know, here's what you can or can't do and here's what the price is. They can rent the property for any of those purposes. So for those folks 
our normal membership seemed like it might be cost prohibitive, so we created a $99 basic membership. And with, that's also really uh, kind of a high value for us retirees. If you're somebody who doesn't need to hunt on the weekend and has that flexibility during the week, that's a great option for you. Or swing shifter. If you're, if you're a shift worker and you, you find that you're working weekends but you have the weekdays free, 29 bucks, you're set to go. You can hunt as much as you want weekdays. The basic, that's our basic membership. The, 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 and that one, sorry, that one's 99, you said? No, no, that one's 29. Okay. Our, our normal membership is $99 a year. Okay. Now, the $99 membership has no limitations as far as days that you can go out and hunt. You can hunt 365 days a year with that. So, as well as fish, as well as do everything else. But if you're a hunter, the real value is that $99 one, unless, again, you're somebody who doesn't necessarily need to hunt on weekends, in which case, dude, just take advantage of the $29 one. But either way, either way, we have priced it such that it's meant to appeal to our three biggest kind of uh, audience types. One is dads, and I say that I used to say parents, but it's really predominantly dads or grandparents who want to take their kids out or their grandkids out and teach them about the woods and give them these experiences in a safe, private environment. Because that's one thing that I don't think we touched on, and I want to make sure that your, your listeners understand. When you are renting or leasing one of these properties for the day or for the weekend, guess what? Nobody else is going to be out there. You have exclusive access to that property. So it's not like it's going to be you and 10 other people. It's going to be you, and if you want to bring some of your friends with you as guests, you can't. But nobody else is going to be out there that isn't part of your, your party. Right. Okay. And I think that's a really important piece because people are like, well, I can just go out to private public land if I wanted to do this for free. Yeah, you can. And we're very blessed uh, in this country to have so much public land, but on public land, you have no control over who else is going to be out there in our model. You have exclusive access and whoever else is going to be out there is people you bring with you. All right. And so at the ninety nine, that is a really cool, that's a cool aspect that you're allowed to bring guests, you know, it'd be so easy to say, Hey, you have to pay, X for each guest you bring out. So that's, that's awesome because that's what, that's what outdoors is about is, you know, sharing oh, with sure. family and friends. So. Oh, we're, we're, we are, I mean, as a mission driven com- company, we are absolutely committed to the recruiting, retaining and reactivation of new hunters. And the single best way for us to, to really help fuel that is not only in providing access to our members to have properties, but also to ha- allow them and have them be in a position where they can bring their kids out with them. They can bring their friends out with them. Other folks to be able to have share that experience and hopefully get more people to realize how valuable hunting is and how necessary hunting is and 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 fighting to protect it and 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 not just protect it but help it grow again. That's that's something we want to be able to be a material part of because thirty percent of our members are people who have either never hunted before or who haven't hunted in at least three years. So. Think about that for a second. As we grow this model out to hundreds of thousands, even potentially a million members, almost a third of those people are newbies mm-hmm. or people that haven't hunted in years. That is exactly what the industry needs to help it start turning back this 50 years worth of attrition that it's been seeing. Oh, my so God. Yeah. Really I mean, it's terrible. It's terrible. We're losing hunters every year, uh, whether it's. And in, I'll tell you, it's a lot of it's because of access. That's the number one thing. When you ask someone, hey, why yep. did you quit hunting? Some people will say, oh, it's 
got too expensive. And you know, again, expensive can be right there in correlation with access. I don't have access. Right. A lease is too expensive. Um, public land is is too dangerous, or there's not enough game. You know, the uh, well, and that's exactly. What, I mean, the, the the three things that we address immediately are one. I don't have a place to go or the place that I have, I lost. And now I don't know where to go. Okay. With outdoor access, you will always have a place to hunt period. That's, I, that is as simple as I can make it. It's a matter of where do you want to go today? Cause you, we have hundreds of places for you to choose from Two, It's too expensive. Well, guess what? Our average rental is, like I said, about 25 to $30 a day. So we've priced it so that everybody can afford it. This is not something that is only limited to those people who can drop thousands, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then the third part is time. Time is the single biggest thing that people say they're like, I love hunting, but you know, listen, I was going out and I was having to scout these properties and do all this stuff all. And it's just, I, you know, my kid's playing soccer now. I, I just don't have time to go out and hunt anymore. Well, guess what? If we can find you a place that's already got a tree stand set up for you and everything's ready to go and it's 20 or 15, you know, 15, 20 minutes from your house. Do you think you can find some time to find, get out? But you heck, you can get out there, make it to your son's soccer game in the afternoon and still shoot a deer that morning. So we have really tried to create a model that is reflective of today's society and what it's going to take to get those people who either haven't taken part in hunting and get them in the boat. Or more importantly, get those people who have hunted in the past and know how exciting it is to come back again because now we're giving them more options. Yeah. Well, that's just so important. Like you said, uh, the attrition rate is astounding as far as the number of folks we've we've lost uh, over the last half century. Uh, yep. And people tell me they're like, I, I. It's very clear. You know, the the number of duck stamps sold is a fact. You can't manipulate those numbers. And people are like, there's more duck hunters now than ever. And I'm like, uh, actually, no, there's there's <laughs> like, we've lost like a million in the last like 20 years. And they're like, well, that's not true. Cause I, I just go to the boat ramp and see, and I'm like, once again, it's more duck hunters hunting public because they don't have access or, or, you know, whatever right. it is. But what you're seeing at the boat ramp isn't reflective of what's actually going on uh, with duck stamp sales. So yeah, and, and and from our perspective, I do really think that we can start to turn that around. I mean, like that's one of the things we t- we deal with both a lot of private industries as well as the folks on the public sector, both at the state and at the national level, and they're all kind of looking at each other, saying, "How? What are we going to do? What are we going to do?" And when we show them our numbers on how our model is attracting, again, almost a third of the people that are using it are people that are part of two of those three R's: the uh, recruitment or the reactivation folks. Um, that gets a lot of people's eyebrows up because they're like, wow, we'd be happy if we could get like a five or 6% change and you guys are 30%. The other thing that's really cool, we just did a recent survey of our members and uh, the data just came in actually uh, yesterday. So um, it's fresh off the presses. 85% of our members said that they will hunt more often now as a result of outdoor access. So that's more people getting out in the field Another 35% said that as a result of outdoor access, they were going to be hunting new species that they'd never hunted before. So now you take that guy who's a, a real hardcore deer hunter or turkey hunter, and you're giving it, making it easy for him to find places to go to go duck hunt. And now all of a sudden, you're turning him into a duck hunter. So yeah. to get more people out in the field more often and get them utilizing and hunting more species, that is good. That is a good thing. 
and that is good for the entire hunting ecosystem. Absolutely. Well, as we're uh, wrapping things up here, uh, is there is there anything else we didn't hit on? Uh, first of all, and then also make sure you give us the website where folks can go check it out. Yeah, I think the main thing that I would just say to people is, you know, listen, I understand and appreciate that this may not be the way that you used to hunt or your dad used to hunt or whatever, and, and that it may be perceived as uh, different. We need different. I, I mean, the hunting industry needs to embrace difference and stop being so resistant because that all that is doing is take, putting us down and staring at the, down the barrel of a gun. And like you said, the numbers don't lie. So we hope that by putting a new model out there that attracts new landowners, and that's one of the things I really also want to touch on, 95% of the properties that are available through Outdoor Access have either never been available for hunting before or have only been available to, like, family members. So that's really important. This isn't shuffling the deck in the sense that we're taking properties that had previously been part of a hunting lease, and now they're available through Outdoor Access. We're creating a bigger pie. Mm-hmm. And by creating a bigger pie and making hunting more attractive to a larger swath of landowners, that's going to help everybody have more options. But the bigger thing for us, too, is that by giving new hunters an opportunity to get out in the field and do all this, we really feel like, again, using the same kind of a shared economy model that has worked so well for Uber, has worked so well for Airbnb that applying that same kind of market to the hunting world and to the outdoor recreation world is going to make a big difference and give people a lot more people an opportunity to get out in the woods, which we as a society need. We need to get away from the electronic smog of our handhelds and everything and get back out into God's creation and, and really experience the real world. So if that's something that sounds attractive to you and to your listeners, whether you're a landowner who's interested in talking more about how you can put your property in, or as a prospective member, all we would ask you to do either way is to go to outdooraccess.com. And once you get there, you can can set up a free user account. You can see all the properties. You can get familiar with the program. Uh, There'll also be contact information on there for if you want to contact our offices and, and get some answers to your questions. This is not a black box, folks. We're not selling you anything that you don't know what you're buying. This is something where we want everybody to be really comfortable with it and how it works. And if it's the right choice for you, like I said, it's either a $29 basic membership or a $99 uh, membership that will give you exclusive access to properties year-round. Yeah. And one thing I want to point out, if you're a landowner and you want to, you know, you want to have your family come out and hunt Thanksgiving you make your own. You you block out those days, and just the property is just not available. So it's not like you're enrolling your property only for outdoor access. Um, so you still have yep. flexibility That's there. That's hundred percent true. You have complete. It's your land. Yeah. That's one thing we keep coming back to. We're like, hey man, it's your land. We're not leasing it from you and then subleasing it. We're putting it out there in a way that makes you 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 hold the cards. You call the shots. It's your land. Yep. And and giving landowners that kind of power in many ways is really refreshing to a lot of people who are like, well, I've had it in the lease for a long time, but I just, I couldn't use my own property. Well, that's ridiculous. You should be able to use it when you want to use right. your property. <laughs> uh, I ran into that in Oklahoma on a place that I leased. It, it, you know, the landowner had to tell his family, look, it's leased. You can't hunt here. And obviously we, we ran into some issues with that. So <laughs> uh, yeah, this, <laughs> this keeps the landowner in complete control. 
Uh, well, right. it, it seems like it's uh, almost too good to be true, much like Uber. Uh, you know, uh, that's something that I use frequently if I've had one or two Lone Stars. And uh, I'm looking forward to using uh, outdoor access in the same in the same way. Um, no doubt about that. Well, I, we're just can't do, you can't use it for the same reason. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Well, I like drinking beer and I like hunting, but obviously not at the same time. But yeah, do, uh, do the hunting first, and then use the outdoor access for the hunting in the daytime, and then use the Uber for the celebration in the nighttime. Right, right on. Well, hey Chuck, <laughs> I certainly appreciate it. Cable, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for uh, letting us be on your show. All right, Buck Robinson of Outdoor Access. Um, you know, I think the future's bright for that type of service catering to hunters and anglers, outdoor enthusiasts. Uh, because look at just look at Uber and all of those other similar type of Airbnb, all that stuff. Same platform, but this one designed for you and I. Uh, cool stuff. Uh, that segment of the presentation brought to you by Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue, where you can stop in for breakfast, lunch, or dinner. Whether you're just getting out of the woods or off the water, make it Rudy's True Texas-style barbecue. And guess what? They've got ice-cold Lone Star beer there as well. Uh, double whammy. Um, unfortunately, we got to go. Got to get out of here. Flat out of time. Thanks to both of our guests today, Sean McClellan of Outdoors Tomorrow Foundation and, of course, Buck of Outdoor Access. Also want to thank all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors like show. Until next time, Cable's been saying, wear that safety harness. Y'all have a great week in the outdoors. But when it comes to services, I really don't care. Just bring them to me two at a time. I drink country cool. Just like that morning dew